are listening to the Calvary Church Podcast, where each episode features a life-transforming message that was previously recorded in one of our services. And now, let's join a service that's already in progress. Saturday night before Friends Day this year, I was hanging up a bike rack in my garage that it was, it's a bike rack that goes on the end of a car, and I was hanging it up in my garage, and as I was hanging it up, there's a bar feature on it that just came down and hit me square right on the nose. I was startled, to say the least, because it was a heavy metal bar, and uh, I began to feel sick to my stomach and thought I was getting ready to pass out. Uh, The bridge of my nose was bleeding, and I thought for sure that I would have some black eyes for Friends Day. Uh, thankfully, that did not materialize, although I did have the, the cut on the bridge of my nose. But I, in that moment, it took me a minute. I was able to kind of get my composure and uh, kind of recalibrate to the situation and uh, reset and finished hanging the bike wreck up. But I don't know how many of you have ever had an experience like that where you have been knocked out um, or almost knocked out. When that happened, it it took me back to uh, my days in Bible college. I know that sounds crazy, but uh, I we would box different, do different things in Bible college, and boxing was one of those things. But uh, a friend of mine and I loved to pretend box. Anybody ever pretend box? And so we were on choir tour, corral tour in the summer. And so I don't know why you do crazy things when I guess you're that age, but. we were in the middle of the bus, the tour bus, and we were pretending to box, you know, just trying to just barely tap each other on the face, on the arms, in the body, you know. And for whatever reason, and I'll call him out tonight, Rick Rogers. <laughs> Rick Rogers hit me a little bit too hard. Um, and I immediately saw stars. I saw stars, and, and I just, I'm like, I'm not sure what's coming next, and I'm falling falling backwards, and um, I put my hands up, and, and I was finally able to recompose myself, and I held myself in check. I didn't go after him, maybe because he's a lot bigger than me, but anyway, that's beside the point. But the point is that uh, those, that experience kind of uh, just made me think about COVID and what we have experienced as a church it's one of those seasons that I think we, we've been rocked a little bit, we've been set back a little bit, and maybe spiritually, I know as just a, a church operation, things just, you just start reeling and, and you're doing more reacting than you're doing actually trying to accomplish anything. You're just reacting. The news is changing, everything's changing, your restrictions are changing, and uh, that, that's kind of how... I have felt, and maybe you felt that way for a number of months. But over these last couple months, I, I've just felt the nudge of the Lord. I don't know if it's the recalibration, just kind of finally getting the setting back. But I, I have felt that God is trying to get us back in position to continue the work that He's called us to. That we're not to spend our time indefinitely just in a reactionary mode of just trying to, to, to find our footing. But there's something God is pressing 
us to do. And it was in early 2019 that I felt the nudge of the Lord to call our church to a focus of, a, of personal evangelism. In fact, it was April t- uh, of 2019 that I knew what I would preach the first Sunday of 2020. Uh, I wrote it down. I knew what the Lord was moving. I felt I knew what the Lord was moving to, uh, moving us as a congregation to. And I knew what I would preach on that first Sunday in January. Now, for those of you who know me, that's, that's quite a miracle to know that far in advance. But this year on Sunday, so this year, Sunday, January 5th, 2020, I preached a message called, and I, I knew you would know, um, go fishing. I preached a message that took us back to that original message that was preached in this church in 1968 by Bishop Norman Pasley I, who started this church with the premise of go and be fishers of men. Matthew chapter 4, 18 it tells us Jesus walked by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. He said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they immediately left their nets and followed him. And so we understand in this passage and what has been a part of the DNA of the Calvary Church since its inception is that God has called us to follow him at a high level, to be disciples of him. And when he invites us to follow him, what we as disciples of Christ should accept is that it it, it might change your plans. It, It might change the direction you were going. Certainly for these two fishermen, it changed the trajectory of their life because follow me did not mean, hey, look at me for this day, but then go and do your own thing. It literally means, meant leaving where they were and following him. It changed their direction. And I don't know about you, but I want to be able to say that tonight, that I'm following Jesus Christ. Not that I'm interested in Jesus Christ or, or, or that I enjoy a service here and again, but I want to say that I am following. The direction and the trajectory of my life is following him. And so that's why we encourage the gospel message of repent of your sins. It means to turn from your sins and be baptized in the only saving name, which is Jesus Christ, and to allow your life to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Why? Because we are followers of Jesus Christ. But then he says, after he says, follow me, he says, once you're following me, I will make you. I will mold you. I will shape you. And when we follow Jesus Christ, we realize that it's not just an act that we're doing, but he's going to make something out of us. We use language like born again. Why? Because it's a, it's a fresh start. He's making something in us. We use terms like being a new creature in Christ Jesus. And so he says, I will make you into something that has more than just a temporal, seasonal conclusion. He said, I will mold you into something and someone that will now 
not just be gratified by your carnal nature, but will be gratified by an eternal purpose. And Jesus used these fishermen's occupation as an illustration where they would be called of God to go and to be a follower of Jesus Christ, but also be a fisher of men. And what, to me, stands out in that is that fishers of men was their occupation. And Jesus said, I'm going to turn your occupation into an illustration of what I ultimately want you to do, and that is to live with an eternal purpose, not just a temporal purpose. And so what we realized in this statement that Jesus had the weight of following him like an occupation. There was a weight to it. There was an intention. Like you and I get up for a job every day, there's an intention with that. He said following Jesus Christ should have the same weight as your occupation. And it should have, and for them, he said, the result of an occupation the purpose of an occupation. And what was that for them? We realized that fishing is an act of intention. And does anybody like to fish? Raise your hand if you like to fish. We talk a lot about fishing here. Thank you, Sister Varnum. She loves to fish, and it's, it's my goal to, to fish with her, for her to teach me how to fish. Well, well. But fishing is an act of intention. You don't accidentally catch fish. Sure, there are fish that jump in a boat from time to time. There are fish that get trapped in random places, but the act of fishing is an act of intention, and that's what it was for those disciples. Those disciples got into boats. Those disciples mended their nets. Those disciples cast their nets out. It was very intentional, and Jesus used this idea of fishing as something that would uh, be something to say that the kingdom of God happens not by accident, but with intention. The kingdom of God in this world will happen with intention. The same intentionality that Jesus used to go to the cross, it wasn't an accident that Jesus showed up on the cross. It was very much with intention, and the kingdom of God being realized in this world will happen the same way. And in 2020, I felt God calling us to this purpose, really back to this purpose that was founded from the beginning of this church, an eternal purpose. And so our mission at the Calvary Church is to help people find a growing relationship with God and to live out his purpose. We say we want to help people make disciples. Can I just remind us again tonight, that purpose hasn't changed. That hasn't changed since January of 2020, since December of 1968. That is our purpose, to help people come to find Jesus Christ. And I believe God is calling us to that. I believe God's calling us to be a church that is obsessed with helping people find a growing relationship with Jesus Christ and live out his purpose. An obsession 
That that's what we're living for every day to help people find Jesus Christ. I want to live with that intention. I, I, I want to live with that purpose. Everything I'm doing, everywhere I'm going, that I realize that's the intention of God for this world. I know it may look different on every job, but I want to encourage us afresh, and I felt to come back to this today, that we are called to help people find Jesus Christ, and that might help. That might be you telling your story. That might be you praying for somebody on the job. That might be you inviting somebody to church, somebody uh, maybe inviting somebody to a life group or even teaching someone a Bible study. I want to tell you every conversation and every connection matters to God. So I go fishing. Go fishing. We need net fishing. And I explained that in that message as fishing where it's the church as a gathering. We have events. We have things that we try to connect people to and to build relationships with people in a broad scale. But there's also line fishing where you're individually working with people in your life. And I just want to simply remind us of that tonight. I would say that your profession, no matter what it is, God wants to use your profession for his glory. Whatever connections you have, whatever family, friend connections you have, I believe God wants to use it for his glory and it's, you're there for a reason. You're in people's lives for a reason. Whatever your passions are in life, God can use it for his glory. Every lake, stream, river, ocean, every kind of bait, net, rod, reel, every kind of fish, we're called to it. We're fishers of men. And so because of this call to go fishing and this call to personal evangelism that I felt early in 2019 and shared it in beginning of 2020, Kristen and I started a series in January of 2020, January 8th, 2020, and we spent six weeks on a series called Contagious Christianity. Now, in some ways, I feel responsible for the outbreak of COVID. <laughs> what an ironic title to look back on, Contagious Christianity. However, I have felt the Lord over the last few months call me to bring this back to us because this call hasn't changed. Now, we've been knocked back a little bit. We've been hit in a way where we were scrambling for balance, but I come back to this idea that we are called to impact the worlds we live in with personal evangelism. My message of the next normal was a call by God to see the Calvary Church elevate our expectations. When Jesus said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, he called us to preach the gospel to the poor, to see the brokenhearted healed, 
to help those who are blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to help those in sin, to help those in addiction. And I want to just, again, I just feel pressed to recalibrate us, to say that verse happens with intention. It doesn't happen by accident. And so as we revisit this idea, I'm going to go quickly. Some of you will begin to remember the series, but some of you maybe weren't here when we taught this series, and I want to just bring it back to our remembrance. The deal is people matter to God, not just programs, not just political ideologies, not just systems, but people. The church is a people business, and I would add that everyone Everyone is important to God. That's why the scripture would tell us that famous verse, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus loves the world. In Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. People matter to God. And Jesus Christ did not die on the cross for us to just have a life here on earth. He died to give us something that was eternal. Everyone has a value to Jesus Christ. And I preached a message years ago called One Equals One, that everyone everyone, no matter who they are, where they come from, whether they add value into your life or my life or not, whether they're contributing to society at all or at an extremely high level, everyone equals one. Heaven rejoices not over one rich person that repents. Not over one very educated person who repents. Not over just one poor person who repents. The scripture says, heaven rejoices over one sinner. One sinner. And the scripture says, all have sinned have come short of the glory of God. People matter to God. And so simply put, because people matter to God, people should matter to us. If your Christian life exists only for yourself, it's a life lived, I believe, in vain because Christ saved you, not just so he could bring you to himself, but so you could help others find him as well. That's why the commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And what's the second commandment? Love your neighbor as yourself. Because God cares about people, we should care about people. And I'll use this old saying that says, what God expects, God enables. What God would expect of us, God doesn't leave us on our own to figure out this. He enables us through his spirit to help make a difference in people's lives and to love people. And so we visited a mathematical equation to talk about contagious Christianity, and I'll move quickly through this. But it's simply HP plus CP plus CC equals MI. HP plus CP plus CC equals MI. It's kind of cryptic. Not sure 
pretty simple math. It's just plus. But it means high potency plus close proximity plus clear communication equals maximum impact. High potency plus close proximity plus clear communication equals maximum impact. And so we realize that we're called to maximum impact. What does that mean? Our goal is to have the greatest spiritual influence we can have in people's lives. This is God's purpose, and it, it, it is expressed in Scripture. Again, I don't think we have to be weird to have spiritual influence. I was at Dollywood this past week, and... Dear Lord, I had a moment there. It was, it was, it's going to get real awkward here for just a moment, but hang with me. I was in the bathroom. So I'm finishing up, I'm washing my hands, I'm getting ready to walk out, and, and a guy was in there, and I don't know, somehow we struck up a conversation as we were exiting. As we were exiting, we struck up a conversation. Just make that clear. So we, we go out and we start talking. And man, it jumps so fast. The conversation jumps so fast that uh, before I know it, this man has laid hands on me and uh, starts praying for me. Praise God, I must have needed it. But I'm going to tell you in the moment, I was like, what is going on? And uh, so I'm saying that to say that wasn't a great experience for me. Even though I'm a pastor and I appreciate prayer, it was very awkward. And he wanted to hug me, and it just was strange. It was strange. I'm not suggesting that that's the best way to have spiritual influence in people's lives. That's all I'm saying. That when I say spiritual influence, I'm not, I'm not talking about an aggressive, kamikaze kind of spiritual uh, uh, help for people. But we are called. To, to live a spiritual existence and have a spiritual impact in people's lives, whatever that would be by people's permission. And so Matthew 28, you know it, go therefore make disciples. We're called to this idea of trying to do our best to live out our spiritual life in this world. And this formula of... Uh, HP plus CP plus CC equals MI is a formula that flows out of two ideas in Scripture. And again, I'm going to move really quick here. Number one, the Bible says, Jesus said in one passage, he gives us two things. We are the salt of the earth and we're the light of the earth. The principle that we find is that in salt, we, we realize that in order for, for it to be effective, there's got to be a potency to it. And so the salt must be potent enough to have an effect. And the second is salt has to be close enough to what it is uh, seasoning to have an effect. So inside of the salt metaphor, we can find two of the elements, high potency 
and close proximity. And as Christians, we're called to be salt. We're called to have potency and to be in proximity. And then he uses the light metaphor, and he's saying that we need to illuminate, illuminate what he is doing to allow the light to shine to allow it to have access. It's not our light, it's his light, but we have to allow that light to shine. And putting it all together, we realize that high potency plus close proximity plus clear communication equals maximum impact. Let me dig just slightly deeper. What's necessary for high potency? Number one, authenticity. We have to be Someone who is authentic. Our substance has to be more than an image. Before we can say that we are, and before we can become highly contagious Christians, we must first live in a way that convinces people we are Christians. Before we just spout off and say we're Christians, people should recognize there's something about our life that is is true to what I'm saying with my life. The second is compassion. We talked specifically in one lesson just about the idea of compassion, and and we used the illustration of the the Good Samaritan, and, and the question was asked, who's my neighbor? If Jesus, you're telling me that I need to love my neighbor, who's my neighbor? And he gives this story about the man who was, was beat up and, and the, the priest passed by him and, and kind of walked on the other side. Then the Levite passed by him and walked on the other side. And then it talks about the Samaritan who, it says, went to him. But there were a couple things that we understood in that passage. One, that, that road to Jericho. For the priest, it was an accident that he was on that road. He wasn't there with intention. The Bible says, it says by chance, this priest was on this road, he walked by. The Levite, same thing, by chance he walked on this road, he walked by. But it says about the Samaritan that as he journeyed, with very much intention, he put himself on that Jericho road and he brought some supplies that he knew this was a dangerous road. And I'm on this road to find somebody who needs help. And so we, we talked about that we can't, we can't, as it comes to compassion, we can't give compassion. I can't make you compassionate. As religious as the priests were and Levites were, for whatever reason, they weren't compassionate. Because curiosity doesn't mean that you'll show mercy. Just because we read a story on Facebook or we read a story in the news doesn't always mean we respond. We might have sympathy for somebody or we might feel bad for somebody, something that happens. But what is it that moves us to mercy? What is it that moves us? It's a very personal thing. And so I can make you curious, but I cannot make you compassionate. So we understand that about compassion. And, and the reality of compassion, number two, is it's born out of perspective. It's born out of perspective. I personally believe that the Samaritan had an understanding of that road in a way that the priest and the Levite didn't understand. And so his perspective of what that road was, his perspective as a Samaritan of an outcast, of somebody who was pushed off to the side of society, impacted his ability to be compassionate. It's born out of perspective. And finally, the reality is true 
compassion. If we're really compassionate, how do we know if we're compassionate? If we show mercy. Compassion produces mercy. And so he bound his wounds. He bandaged him. He put him on the horse, and he took him to a place, and he said, I'll care for you. And so compassion is born is born out of authenticity of our experience, and it's born in us to Compassion is born in us to produce mercy. That's why Jesus would ask the question, so which of these three do you think was neighbor? How do you know if you love somebody? How do you know if you love somebody and somebody is your neighbor? He said, if you show mercy to them. If you're willing to be in proximity to them. And while compassion is powerful, Compassion is impossible without proximity. And so Jesus would challenge them that while you may have a lot of good things in your life, that you have to, at the end of the day, get close to people, get near people. Jesus would do this. He would get close to the tax collector. He would get close to the sinners. He would get close to the adulterers. Indulteresses. He would get close even to the religious. What was it? He realized that his effectiveness was proximity. Early church, we see so many getting close in proximity to people, building relationships with people, connecting with people. It would be Barnabas who would bring Saul close. Be Paul and or or Philip who would go to the eunuch. It would be Peter who would go to Cornelius's house. Sister Reed talked about Philippi and the jailer and Lydia, the seller of purple. What did they all have in common? There was proximity in relationship. But what keeps us from proximity with people? I'll go quickly through this. The first is sometimes a biblical issue. We realize that the Bible says do not have Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? And so another passage says, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I I will receive you. And so sometimes it seems counterintuitive as a Christian to build relationships with people who aren't Christians. And we've used these scriptures to guard ourselves from relationships. But Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 5, I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people, yet I certainly did not mean with the sexually immoral people of this world or with the covetous or extortioners or idolaters since you would need to go out of the world. I'm not telling you to isolate yourself and put yourself in some kind of compound and keep yourself from people who might taint your Christianity. He's saying have the ability to to have a strong walk with God, to be a mature Christian, to be able to to connect with people who might be dealing with some of these things in their life. But his challenge was that, and this is the next thing, it's the spiritual danger, that there are people in our lives who, if we're not careful, can't have influence in our lives, who can have a negative spiritual influence. And so the Bible does give us that, that caution and that warning to say, hey, separate from people who are distorting Christianity or distorting what God's trying to do in your life. And so there's this balance with that. And then 
Number three, another obstacle to proximity to the irreligious is the risk of our reputation. What are people going to say? What are they going to think? And so Jesus said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. Then finally, sometimes we avoid proximity to people is because of our own personal discomfort. We simply don't connect with people because it's uncomfortable. We're intimidated. We don't identify with them in certain ways, and so we avoid people. And depending on your personality or your view on life or your view on politics or your view on different things in life, sometimes we avoid people because there's a personal discomfort that comes when you begin to build relationships with people who are not like you. Amen. And that's why I've encouraged us the last number of weeks, and I'm still encouraging us, to have a meal with someone who you do not know, who is not maybe running in your same circle of friends in this church. I'm not talking about people outside the church. I'm just talking about somebody you don't know in this church well. Maybe you've greeted them or said hi to them, but you don't know where they work. You don't know how many kids or grandkids they have. Because to me, that's so important. If we're going to reach the world with the gospel, there's a level of personal discomfort that we're going to have to accept about interacting with people. Amen. So we encourage you to be yourself. You don't have to be somebody you're not. You don't have to lay hands on anybody in Dollywood. Get to know me, man. <laughs> but cast your net. Be willing to step out. Share light with people. There's a lot of ways that we share light. A lot of ways that the Bible shows us. Peter was confrontational. Imagine that. Paul had an intellectual approach at times. The, the, a blind man used his testimony of what God did for him to to connect with people. Matthew threw a party of all the tax collectors to meet Jesus. It was the people he was connected with. The Samaritan woman had this invitational, come see a man. Come hear a man who told me everything. It was Dorcas who would use her gifts of service to connect people to Christ. There's a lot of approaches we can take but it all comes back to the same thing, that proximity to people matters. Relationships matter. And so the Bible says, but a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. We are called to go where people are. I mentioned this a couple Sundays ago, but God has given me a burden for the city of Oxford. And it's something that I haven't been able to shake for many 
years. And as I mentioned a few Sundays ago in the sermon, The Next Normal, I feel God saying to me and, and our church to go, to go there. Don't wait for them to come to you, but to go there. Open up a way for the Acts 2.38 message to be preached in that community and on that campus in a consistent way. And so I am trying to be sensitive to the Lord. And, and for those who maybe heard me say that, let me add a little bit more to it. We are in conversation with an uh, owner of a building there who uh, we have the potential to use for services. And we're also putting together a launch team, an Oxford campus launch team to help us strategically plan uh, how to launch and connect in that city and bring the Calvary Church to the city of Oxford. I don't have it all figured out. I can guarantee you that. But what I do know is we won't be able to reach Oxford if we're not in proximity to Oxford. That's what I understand about God's mission. And it's true for missionaries. We're getting ready for a missions conference in December. What, is, what makes missionaries effective? They are in location. They are in proximity. And every day, you and I are in proximity to people that I don't believe is just by accident. I don't believe I said, I'll follow you, Jesus, and then he doesn't direct my steps every day. I believe we are in proximity to people for a purpose. And the question is, are we going to acknowledge the proximity? Are we just going to be comfortable to walk down the Jericho Road by accident, or are we going to live our life with intention and say, God, maybe you've put me on this road for a purpose? And so we recap high potency, close proximity. The final element is clear communication. And at the Calvary Church, we take a high view of Scripture. And I believe that in these next days, months, years, that Calvary will continue to grow in our literacy of the Bible, our understanding of the Bible, and our willingness to share the Bible in personal Bible studies. And so part of this idea of the chosen is for you and I to be willing to share our faith with other people. What did that story mean to us? What did that particular character mean to us? And I want us to get comfortable sharing our faith with others. And we need a clear communication. We need to understand the word of God. So as we revisit what it means to be contagious Christians, might as well say what it means to be a COVID Christian. All right, here's what I want you to do for app time. Share with somebody near you what you feel you can do or potential opportunities you see or have to share light with people around you, family, friends, or community. Or you can answer the question, who are you sharing a meal with in the next couple weeks that you don't know? Tell somebody, you got two minutes.
Hope you've had a chance to share with somebody. I know that was quick, trying to only take up a few minutes of Kristen's time next week. Would you stand with me tonight? I know we've been knocked back. I know we've kind of lost our balance in ways of how we live our faith in these kind of times. But I feel the touch of the Lord just nudging us again and saying that our involvement in personal evangelism is so key to the kingdom of God in this community. So I encourage you to be a COVID Christian, a contagious Christian. Again, not you don't have to be extraordinary weird, extraordinarily weird or aggressive, although there are times for that. And I'm praying through my moment at Dollywood. But I think all of us have people in our life who God has put us in relationship with for his purpose. And I pray for courage for our church and our congregation. Lord, I pray that you would help us tonight. I pray, God, that you would just kind of call us back, Lord, to what you were doing in us in January. God, that your purpose would be realized. You've set us in positions. You've put us in places of influence in our jobs even with our families, God, and even outside of that, I pray there would be a willingness to be personally discomforted, personally, Lord, challenged so that we can connect with people we don't know. Like you did for Peter, you said, Lord, that you wanted him to connect with Cornelius even though it would be very difficult for him culturally. But you, God, helped him through that. You gave him the grace for it. And I'm praying for our congregation to have the grace, God, to go beyond our comfort zones. God, and call us to that next normal, that next place in you. I thank you, Lord, for your word that challenges, your word that leads us. Use us in a mighty way in Jesus' name. Amen. This podcast was brought to you by the Calvary Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. For more information about the Calvary Church, please visit our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Consider joining us for a service where you will find friendly people, high-energy music, and life-transforming preaching and teaching from a biblical worldview. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or on our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.